All right. So today is, of course, the first Sunday after Easter. And uh, when I was deciding what to do, I was thinking about it. And this is what I came up with. We're kind of continuing somewhat the theme that we have been on, which is reboot, which is the idea of, of, of starting over fresh starts, fresh perspectives. But I wanted to focus on the world after the resurrection. So what has changed as a result of Jesus rising from the dead? So I'm calling this uh, series Epilogue. So it's kind of a continuation, but it's something new as well. There's so many things that we could talk about in, uh, in light of what, what is different because Jesus was raised from the dead. But I'm just going to focus on three different things over this week and the next two weeks. And uh, just some aspects of things that are different because Jesus has been raised from the dead. And today, today's message is called God's Power Made Available. And the question is, how do I live the life God wants for me? Uh, and as I mentioned just a second ago, I'll recap for those who are just listening to the message that I purposefully chose for and not from because we often think of, well, what does God want from me? The list of do's and don'ts. But this is a little bit different. This is how do I live the life that God wants for me? If God is a loving heavenly father, what kind of life does he want for me? And how can I live that life? And... Um, in order to understand what's different, it's the whole idea. Like I hear people say, so every once in a while I hear somebody say, I want to, I, w- I really want to be a good Christian. I want to, uh, I want to live a good Christian life. And honestly, my first, my first thought in that is good luck. <laughs> because in order to live the life that God calls us to, Uh, you're going to need something more than just your own self-effort and your desire to do it. And so I'm not sure, I don't think everybody that says this, and you may have said this before, so I'm not judging you, but I'm saying when I hear I want to live a good Christian life, I hear self-effort, which is doomed to failure. Because the whole reason that Jesus came, the whole reason that we need Jesus is that we cannot live up to God's hopes, desires, and expectations of us. We don't even live up to our own expectations of ourselves. So how can we expect that we will live up to God's expectations? So the whole premise behind faith in Christ is that we can't do it. We need forgiveness, rescue, and salvation. But for some reason, after accepting that, that our past record needs forgiveness, that we need a fresh start, then the temptation or the rut that we can fall into is self-effort once again. And if that's where it got you last time, you can pretty much expect that's what self-effort is going to get you next time. You need help. You don't just need forgiveness from the, for the past. You need power for the future. And that's exactly what God has promised us. And uh, let's think about it this way. You uh, want, to, want to do something or stop doing something, and you fail at it. You fall into that same rut. Or you want to know what God's will is, but you're kind of at a loss as to how to figure that out. Uh, you want God's presence in your life, but you don't know how that, 
how that works. This message will answer that question for you. And it's an answer that was not available in general to people before the resurrection. This is one of the things that radically transformed and radically changed after Jesus rose from the dead. So again, welcome to Cornerstone. I'm Pastor Brian Foreman, and I'm glad that you are here today. We exist to inspire and equip you to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, knowing that that following Jesus makes life better and makes you better at life. If you're listening or watching online, please be sure that you check in so that we know that you're here and we know how to pray for you. Today, the one word that I chose that we're talking about is this word power. Uh, How do I have power to live the life, to live in a way that not only pleases God, because that is true, but is the life that he has designed for us? Where do I get that power? And the answer is simply the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is God's personal presence. This is the bottom line for today. The Holy Spirit is God's personal presence, empowering every believer in Jesus. We're going to emphasize at first this word every, because that's the thing that has changed. God's, the Holy Spirit is available, present, empowering every believer in Jesus. And we'll look at three aspects of this. I'll go through them real quickly right now, and then we'll come back to them. Number one, the Holy Spirit is the one who enlivens us. He makes us spiritually alive. He gives us the power to overcome sin and death. The Holy Spirit enlightens us. He gives us the power to understand God's will and his ways, and the Holy Spirit empowers us. He gives us the power to walk in God's will and ways. And so my application step that I will emphasize with you is one straight from the scriptures, Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk a little bit about what that means when we get to that segment. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to read a passage. This is going to be from Luke chapter 24, a post-resurrection appearance of Jesus that will not only introduce what we're going to be talking about today, but it's probably one that I'll come back to over the next couple of weeks because it will uh, address some of those other things as well. Today, we're going to be talking about how the Holy Spirit is available to everyone. Next week, we'll talk about how Jesus' resurrection inaugurated the kingdom of God. And on the third week, we're going to see how Jesus, now that post-resurrection, we will see how Jesus is the interpretive key to the entirety of scriptures. So those are the three things that have changed post-resurrection that I'm going to focus in on. Uh, And you may see a little bit of those themes in here, but it'll at least introduce them and introduce today's topic as well. So Luke chapter 24, verses 35 to 49. Now, It starts out by saying that then the two from Emmaus, and that's referencing the scene right above that, where Jesus appears to two disciples who are walking on the road to a little town called Emmaus. Now, if you have children in the children's ministry today, ask them about that because they'll be able to tell you about that. Uh, But we'll pick it up, pick up the story at verse 35. Then the two from Emmaus, getting in my beard there, 
told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Verse 38, why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still, they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it as they watched. Uh, there's so much humor in the scriptures sometimes. We, we don't notice. It's like, you know, he's like there. They're shocked. They're, they're frightened. They're scared to death. But at the same time, they're kind of happy and joyful. He's like, see, I'm eating. You know, it's really me. And they're all like, uh, watching him eat. I just think that's funny. Uh, then he said, when I, was, uh, when I was with you before, I told you everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus is the interpretive key to the scriptures. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said, yes, it was written long ago that Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed and the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem authority, kingdom. There's forgiveness for sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. And now listen, this is, the, this is today. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with, for those of you reading along, what does it say? Power. Power. And fills you with power from heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we were singing one of those songs there earlier about your presence, your power, and how you are a game-changing presence, Lord, I was just in awe once again, and my heart yearns for your life-changing, game-changing presence for myself for these, my brothers and sisters in Christ, my friends, for our world, we need you. And so, Lord, I pray that your presence would be made manifest in this place, in this time, for everybody listening and watching, whether right now live or a day, a week, months, years from now. Lord, we need you, and you have made yourself available to us. Thank you. And may we experience it firsthand, <coughs> even now. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, the Holy Spirit is God's personal presence, empowering. I said I was going to focus on this idea of every believer in Jesus. Jesus, when he was preparing his disciples for 
post-resurrection life, said something that was uh, pretty incredible. I think it's one of the most amazing statements in all of the scripture. Uh, I've highlighted it before. But in John 16, 7, Jesus teaching his disciples says, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away. He's preparing his disciples that he's going to leave. And of course, they're, they're saddened. They, they don't want him to leave. And he says, but actually, it's better. Because if I don't, if I don't go away, the advocate. Now, what's the advocate? The advocate is one of the, one of the titles that Jesus uses for the Holy Spirit. An advocate in that time and day, like ours, could be an attorney representing you. It could be somebody that comes along. It's somebody that comes alongside and helps you. It's somebody that walks with you. It's somebody that adds their, their power, their strength, leverages it for your benefits. The advocate won't come, but if I do go away, then I will send him to you. In other words, you get to choose. You can either have me in the flesh standing here, or the or if I go away, then God's Holy Spirit will come and live and reside in all of you. Now, I don't know about you, but most of the time, I mean, my default, if I don't think about it too much, is if I had the choice between the Holy Spirit living and residing in me or Jesus standing right here where I could talk to him and interact with him, I'd probably choose that. But what Jesus says is so amazing is it's actually better what we have available to us right now is better than if Jesus walked in here and started talking to us and was available for questions. You know, do a little Q&A with Jesus afterwards. That is an amazing statement. And according to Jesus, that's the facts. So what, what, is, what is different about this? See, the Holy Spirit is God's personal presence. It's not a force. It's not a, a feeling. It's not an it. We usually refer to the Holy Spirit as he because it, it is, the Holy Spirit is God's personal presence. He is God making himself present. It's, of course, part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but it's God's personal presence presence. And in pre-resurrection time, occasionally for particular people, God would send his Holy Spirit and make his Holy Spirit manifest to and available to them. But it was occasional. It didn't happen all the time. And it was selective. It only happened with certain people. I give you an example of this back in uh, the book of Numbers, Moses has God's spirit and he's share, he wants, God wants to share it with some of the other people uh, with, that are with him. So it says, Numbers eleven twenty five. then he, God, gave the 70 elders the same spirit that was upon Moses. So it was just on Moses, but now it's going to be spread out to 70 of the elders of the people. And it says, and when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied. Now think about that. God's spirit comes, they prophesy, they speak, they serve others, they communicate God's word to them. But this never happened again. It wasn't universal. It was first just Moses, then he, there's 70, but it only happened this one time and it was only these certain people. It was occasional and it was selective. What's going to happen post-resurrection is that the Holy Spirit, God's personal presence, is going to be made available 
universally to every believer and perpetual. It's not something that happens and then goes away. It's not something you experience and then it fades away. It's something that is consistent and constant from that point forward. Let me give you a couple of other little scenes, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament that demonstrate this idea of God's making his presence available. In the Old Testament, as the the exodus was happening, the people of, of Israel were escaping from their slavery in Egypt. They are going to meet God. The God who rescued them, the God who has appeared to Moses is going to come and introduce himself to all of the people. And so when God comes down to Mount Sinai to introduce himself, this is what it looks like. This is from Exodus chapter 19. Verse 16, on the morning of the third day, thunder roared and lightning flashed and a dense cloud came down on the mountain. What does that sound like? That sounds like a good old fashioned Florida thunderstorm to me, the kind that I grew up on and that I miss. Here, you, have a th- you, you call these things thunderstorms, they last for like 20 minutes, they come through, they're gone. Well, I'm talking three or four hours of hard downpour, lightning, wind, that's what I like. That's a real thunder storm. Anyway, so, so you got this picture. God is showing up and the way that he's manifesting his presence is through this, this storm at the top of the mountain. And then it also says, all of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire. If you've read uh, the Old Testament before, you might remember that, that God's presence showed up for them and led them uh, first by, uh, by fire and smoke. And so in the daytime, you would see this pillar of smoke that you would be following. That was God's presence leading and guiding the people. And at night, it was a fire. So you could see the light of the fire. And that was his presence leading his people. Same kind of thing is happening here. When he introduces himself to his people, there's this storm and there's a fire. And then repeatedly through the rest of the, of the Old Testament, particularly, for example, when they're dedicating the temple, when God's presence shows up, he wants to let people know, I'm with you, I'm here, I'm showing up. This is the kind of thing that would happen. Sometimes clouds, sometimes, sometimes a storm, often a fire, uh, and also here, the mountain shook, earthquake. So this is the way that God shows up. Now, after the resurrection, this little band of Jesus' followers are all together and they're praying at a, at a holiday that happens 50 days after Passover called Pentecost. Let's see what happens on the day of Pentecost. All the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Think about this. If all of a sudden we're sitting in here and all of a sudden there's this sound like a tornado. And then what looked like flames of tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. This is so good. This is so amazing. So flashback to Mount Sinai, a fire descends showing God's presence. When the temple was dedicated, the smoke fills the temple. 
And here, all the believers are gathered. There's the sound of a rushing wind. And these little individual flames of tongue come down and rest over every single believer. And it says, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them ability. What is, what is God showing here? He's saying, look, you know, it used to be it would happen only occasionally and with certain people, and now I'm going to be present in and with every single believer in Jesus from this point on. Now, let's talk about the languages since it brings it up here. There are two, two things that are kind of just kind of sidelined theological things, but I just want to cover them because they come up. Speaking in other languages. They are literally speaking in other known languages. At this festival in Jerusalem, there are people that are coming to celebrate the festival from all over who speak different languages. This is God supernaturally communicating the message about Jesus through his disciples to everyone that is gathered. They're in wonder. They're like, what is going on here? All of us are from all over the world speaking different languages, and we all hear these people who are all from this one area, Galilee, speaking in our language and proclaiming God's works and wonders to us. Now, what happens later, because this was a big thing, it's like, okay, who belongs? Who gets, who gets the in on this? So every time when the gospel was proclaimed, often in, not every time, but often in the book of Acts, when the gospel is proclaimed and people say yes to it, they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they speak in other languages. To me, that is God's way of saying, look, the same thing that I did for all of you, see, I'm doing it for the Gentiles. See, I'm doing it for the Romans. See, I'm doing it for these people over here. I'm not distinguishing anymore. It's for everyone. Now, later in the scriptures, it does talk about speaking in other languages, and sometimes it's a language of angels, an a, a language that we wouldn't know. So that's what is being talked about. There are certain traditions in Christianity, brothers and sisters in Christ that believe that the, you have to speak in tongues to demonstrate that you are being filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't think that that's what the scripture says. Now, I love these brothers and sisters, but I don't think that that's what the scriptures say. Uh, I think it's a particular time and place, and it happened for a certain time, but then it's not universal. You don't see that universally in the scripture. And the only reason that I bring this up is because probably at some point there's going to be somebody that says, oh, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then you have to speak in another language. An ang the speak in tongues, speak in a language. And I don't want you to be thrown off by that and say, oh, I wonder if I have the Holy Spirit. Okay, The Holy Spirit is given to every single believer. So let's look at that because I'm not just making that up. It's actually in the scriptures. It says, Romans 8, 9, you are not controlled by your sinful nature, or some translations will say literally the flesh. You are controlled by the spirit if you have the spirit of God living in you. Well, who are the people that have the spirit of God living in you? And remember, next verse, or actually the same verse, and remember that those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. All right, so if you belong to Jesus, you have the spirit. If you do not belong to Jesus, then you don't have the spirit, and we need to deal with that, but this makes that clear. Same kind of thing 
uh, the universal nature of this is emphasized. So the Holy Spirit shows up at the day of Pentecost. The people are gathered in what is going on. They begin to proclaim, to preach in all these different languages. And, and then Peter gets up and makes kind of a, a summary explanation of what's going on. And as part of that, he quotes the prophet Joel. This is found in Acts chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. In the, in the last days, God says, now look, uh, look at every believer. It's universal now. I will pour out, pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your boys and your girls. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams, young and old. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. Leaders, you don't have to be anything special. You can be a servant. Men, women, doesn't matter. It's for everyone. Have I made that point yet? Can we move on? <laughs> okay, so the Holy Spirit is God's personal presence empowering every believer in Jesus, and that is new post-resurrection, and that is amazing. That is incredible. We don't, we don't even realize how great that is. If you had lived in Old Testament times and you were told, hey, you know how some people, every once in a while, God's spirit, his presence shows up and empowers them to do things that they couldn't otherwise do. And, and wouldn't you love to? Oh, no, that's, only, that's for people like Moses. That's not for people like me. No, it's for everyone now. Woo. That's good stuff. Okay, so the Holy Spirit enlivens us. The only, the, what, what this means is when you say yes to Jesus, it's not just you making a decision. That's the human side of it, and that's important. But there's a supernatural, unseen, God-initiated, God-powered aspect to what's going on there as well. And that is that he is making you spiritually alive. The Apostle Paul taught in Ephesians 2 that uh, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were walking around, but you were doing the zombie thing because you were spiritually dead. But when you say yes to Jesus, then he comes and resides in you. He makes his presence available to you and lives in you. He enlivens us and his power is what overcomes sin and death. The reason that it's called eternal life is not because it's what happens when you die. It starts when God gives you his spirit, which will never die. And you will never die if you have God's spirit. Your body will die, perhaps, but you will go on because you have God's Holy Spirit. He's the one that enlivens us. We'll take a lot of time on this. This is pretty simple. But in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, uh, it's basically saying, look, this is how it happens. You heard the gospel. You said yes to Jesus. He gave you his Holy Spirit. That, and now you know. Now you know you're set. When you believed in Christ, you heard the gospel, that's in the verse before. When you believed in Christ, he identified you. Some of your translations will say sealed you. It's like, uh, like when cattle get branded, they put the, their seal on that it, because it belongs to them. And God's Holy Spirit in you is God's stamp of ownership over you. 
He identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Apostle Paul, who wrote the letter to the Ephesians, also wrote a letter to the Corinthians. And this is, he says the same kind of thing. It is God who enables us, there's the idea of power, enables us along with you to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us. Notice how God, God gives his spirit and his power for a mission or a commission. It's for a purpose. Uh, and he has identified us, same word as from Ephesians, the idea of a seal as his own. How did he do this? How did he mark us as belonging to him? By his Holy Spirit, by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he had promised. Ooh, this is good stuff too. All right, so the reason that you know that you belong to Jesus is because the, his seal of ownership, the Holy Spirit is living and residing in you. And the way that you know that you have eternal life, that you're going to overcome sin and eventually death is because you have the Holy Spirit in you. It's the, this translation says the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised. So many of us perhaps look at salvation like this, like God's going to make the down payment, but then you keep up the payments. You keep up the monthly payments. You know, you're forgiven for the past and you're going to get a fresh start, but now you better, you better do good from this point on or else it's not going to happen. That's not the way it works. When you are sealed in your faith by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the first installment. It's the guarantee money. When you buy a house, you have to put down some guarantee money, right? It's like, I'm going to follow through with this. And if you renege, you lose that money. God does not renege. He has put down his earnest in the person and presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's his guarantee that he's going to take you the whole way. You never have to wonder. You never have to wonder. This is the second thing. This is why I believe that I don't think you can lose your salvation. Once you, once you have become made new, the way one, one pastor, old pastor said is, I can't slip through his fingers. I, I can't slip through his hands. I'm one of his fingers. You know, I, I'm, I'm a part of his body now. I belong to Jesus. And yes, I may fail along the way. And, and we can't figure out, we can't really see if a person's truly saved or not. But if a person is truly saved, they are going to persevere. That's what everybody agrees on. And that's what I would say as well. And when you have the Holy Spirit, you have God's guarantee that he's going to take you the whole way. You are secure. For those of you that have children, you know you can't ever imagine disowning your children. God's, we're, we're a poor imitation of that. And God is the real thing. So, all right, we got to keep moving. Bottom line, remember this? God's personal presence empowering every believer in Jesus. We just saw how he's the one that enlivens us. Now we're going to see how he enlightens us, the power to understand God's will and ways. How many times have you said, oh, I just really knew what, I really wish I knew what God wanted for me in this particular situation. I wish that he would help me make this decision. I wish that I knew what to do. You can. You can. You can have that confidence. Look at what Jesus said in John chapter 14. 
But when the Father sends the advocate, same word we saw before, as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you of everything I have told you. Remember how we were talking about better? This is better than having Jesus here in the person. What Jesus is saying, look, you know, don't worry about it because uh, the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to teach you just like I've been teaching you. He's going to teach you. And if you forget something that I told you, he'll remind you, you know, you know, you don't even have to depend on your, on your memory. You, you, he will be here and he will lead you and he will guide you and he will teach you. He'll tell you everything that you need to know. The apostle Paul, uh, uh, reflecting on this, meditating on this, he thinks of this verse from the old Testament. And this is first Corinthians two. Who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? And, and the, the idea behind this verse is like, wow, he is so far above us. We, we couldn't hope to know what God thinks. We couldn't, who, who, would, who would presume to teach him anything? But look at what he says next. But we understand these things. Do you understand how good this is? We understand these things for we have the mind of Christ. You can read God's mind because he has shared his thoughts with you in the personal abiding presence of the spirit of God. Now, sometimes we don't always have that confidence, right? But, but I took, uh, took encouragement. There's a verse in Romans chapter 8 that says that those who are the children of God are led by the Spirit of God. Those that are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And I just, th- I just thought about that. And I was like, you know what? It doesn't say you'll always feel it. It doesn't always say you'll just know beyond, you, you'll have this great confidence. It just says, look, if you're, if you're led by the Spirit of God, you're a child of God. And you can go forward in that confidence that he is leading and guiding you every step of the way because you belong to him and he's never going to leave you or forsake you. So the Holy Spirit, God's personal presence empowering every believer in Jesus. He enlivens us. He's the one that gives us the power to overcome sin and death. He's the one that enlightens us. You can understand his will and his ways and above everything, all of that, because what would it be like if you knew, but then it was up to you to make it happen? No, this is the way it works. The Holy Spirit empowers us. He gives us the power to walk in God's will and ways. This, finally, getting back to the passage that I read earlier, how did it end? With this, but stay here in the city. Don't do anything. Don't go anywhere until this happens, until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with, let's say it together, power. From heaven. Often in the scriptures, the word Holy Spirit and power are put in parallel to each other. Holy Spirit means power. If you want power from God, it comes in the person of the Holy Spirit. I just want to highlight two aspects of this. One has to do with our character. In Galatians chapter 5, the apostle Paul is making the contrast. He's saying, this is the way you used to live. There were, you had acts of the flesh. In other words, your flesh was living its best life. And this is what was happening. You were doing this and this and this and this. And the end result was death. Then we get to the more commonly known passage. But the fruit of the spirit, it's put in contrast to the acts of the flesh, produces this kind of fruit in our lives. What kind of fruit does the Holy Spirit produce in our lives, Paul? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
This is your birthright as a follower of Jesus to experience all these things, to transform you so that you are loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and self-controlled person. A little aside, my uh, philosophy professor in college, whose name was, funnily enough, Dr. Bible, <laughs> pointed out that the fruit of the Spirit, one syllable, two syllables, three syllables. Three, 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 one, two, three. From that point on, I've been able to memorize that verse. Hope that helps you too. All right, so now the character. So this is what, this is what you're going to look like because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. His power is going to be working these things in your life. The other thing, notice how I pointed out all, all over the place that when God's Holy Spirit shows up. First, they prophesy. They were empowered to do this. It was in service to others. This is a key verse, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, talking about spiritual gifts. Verses, chapters 12 through 14 in 1 Corinthians are all about spiritual gifts. And this is kind of an introductory statement that explains what's going on. It says, now to each one, there it is again, every one of us, uh, I, every single one of us, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. The manifestation of spirit are spiritual gifts. And you can read through those chapters and get an idea of some of those things. But basically, here's what it means. It means God will give you the ability to do something that you wouldn't otherwise be able to do. That's the manifestation of the spirit. That's good to each one. And for what purpose? To make you look good? To make you feel spiritual? To, uh, to make you look spiritual in the eyes of others? Nope. It's given to you so that you can use it to serve others for the common good. He's going to empower you. He's going to change your character so that you reflect Jesus. And he's going to give you power to do things in service to others. That's how it works. So we've been talking about power today. We said that the, personal, that the Holy Spirit is God's personal presence, empowering every believer in Jesus. He's the one that enlivens us. He's the one that enlightens us, and he's the one that empowers us. So I told you that my application step was going to be based on Ephesians 5.18, which says, be filled with the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? I think the insight, and some of you will have heard me explain it this way before, is found in the verse and what it's paralleled with. It, it, it's not here talking about some particular gift manifestation, like speaking in tongues, it's talking about what's the, what's the controlling influence in your life? Look at what it parallels with. Don't be drunk with wine. When you're drunk, you do things that you wouldn't otherwise do. What kind of things? Stupid things. Yeah, you remember. <laughs> right? You do things you wouldn't otherwise do. Stupid things that are destructive and harmful and that you're going to regret that aren't beneficial. Now, instead, in contrast, be filled with the Holy Spirit. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to do things you wouldn't otherwise do. Smart things, <laughs> beneficial things, things that are helpful and serve other people. So the question is, what's going to be the controlling influence in your life? I pray all the time that God's Holy Spirit will be the controlling influence in my life. Not my fears, not my worries, not my weaknesses, 
not my flesh, not what other people think about me, not my past. What is the controlling influence in your life? When you go to make a decision, you can ask yourself, what's driving this decision? That's the controlling influence. And here, we're commanded. Of of all the things, this is the one thing that should be the controlling influence in your life, God's Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. So I told you uh, uh, there, there are three things that I pray often together. One is that God will fill me with his Holy Spirit so that that's the controlling influence in my life. And then based on, on Galatians 5.25, this is right after the, the fruit of the Spirit verse, by the way. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I'm always praying be, uh, that I be filled with the Spirit and I'll keep in step with the Spirit. What does that mean? Sometimes, sometimes we can get ahead of him. Sometimes we can lag behind I want to be in step with, be filled with, be in step with, and then lastly, do not grieve. In Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed, there's that word again, for the day of redemption. It says, you got, you got a place you're going. God is remaking you and giving you new life and it's eternal life. He's got a plan and a purpose for you and he's moving you in that direction. So, so don't grieve the Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit's first name? Holy, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? It's holy. That means righteousness. That means goodness. And God's presence is always with you. And when you do things that are harmful to yourself and to others, you can, you have, it's possible for you to grieve the Holy Spirit. I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. So be filled with the Spirit. Be in step with the Spirit. And don't grieve the Spirit. These are all aspects of what we mean when we talk about saying yes to Jesus as Lord and Savior, as Savior and Lord on a daily basis. And that's how I want to close. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, what an incredible privilege that you have given us your Holy Spirit. Lord, if there's anyone watching or listening who has never said yes to you, never received the forgiveness that is available through Christ, never turned their life over to you to call you Lord, you're the master, you're the boss, you're the one that gets to call the shots, may this be their day to simply say yes to you. And you will empower them and infill them with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, for those of us who have already said yes to you, we recognize we need to say yes to you on a daily basis. The idea of being filled is literally to be constantly being filled, to be filled and filled and filled and filled, to overflow with God's Holy Spirit. Lord, may you be the controlling influence in our life. If there is any way where we're out of step with you, trying to get ahead of you, falling behind you, show us so that we can get back in step with you. And Lord, if there's anything that we are doing that grieves you, help us to remember that it only grieves you because you love us and you want what's best for us. And sometimes we fall into the old trap of Adam and Eve and deciding, I'm going to decide what's right and wrong. I'm going to decide what's best for me. I'm going to do my own thing. Lord, may we never grieve your Holy Spirit. 
And Lord, I pray that from this point on, we will be a people who will be characterized by the fullness of the Holy Spirit. That The Holy Spirit will be the controlling influence in our lives and that every day we will surrender our lives to you so that that might be the case. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen.